funky drummer Music hitting your heart Cause I, I know you got a soul Yo, 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 welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. Yo, I know y'all were feeling that, man. I know y'all were feeling that. Uh, you can see we did a little something different this time. Uh, you'll see why, uh, you know, but I feel like we had to kick it off with some high energy, kick it off with, you know, some public enemy, uh, because I might be public enemy after this podcast. I don't know. Hopefully I don't get canceled, <laughs> you know, but um, we're going we gonna to talk about some really, some piccadillies on this pod. We're going to talk about... Uh, things happening in the Middle East, specifically uh, happening at the Gaza Strip and and Palestine and Israel, and um, you know it's it's a tough situation because it's a lot of noise on both sides. And when you have a conversation that involves human lives, there's really no easy way to have the conversation, right? There's no easy way to just kind of maneuver into it. Uh, you're always going to be on the wrong side, depending on the purview you're coming from. Uh, you know, a lot of times when us coming from on the Western side, America, we only hear one side of the story. And that's, you know, we'll get into why that is or what, why we think we only hear one side of the story. But uh, a lot of times we'll hear things of terms and, things of that nature that are associated with it. And how do we get to this place? Uh, you know, one of the things I, I want to do, I want to touch on is the concept of like Zionism. Um, and what is Zion, Zionism? Uh, you know, Zionism is both an ideology and a nationalist movement among the Jewish people that espouses the reestablishment of and support for the Jewish state. And it's centered around the idea, or at least the, the thought process of corresponding to the areas of Canaan, uh, the Holy Land, which at the time is uh, the region of Palestine. Uh, Zionism is, I guess for lack of a better term, Israel's national ideology. Uh, you can be a Zionist in America. You could be a Zionist wherever. Zionist is just believing in that Judaism is the nationality as well as a religion and that um, the Jewish people deserve their own state in their ancestral homeland. Um uh, of course, uh, Jewish ancestry, off, they trace their, uh, nation, their nationhood uh, back to the biblical kingdoms of both David and Solomon and, you know, and things of that nature. And it actually part and parcel that why uh, Christianity is so closely aligned with the concept of Zion, Zionism, um, because they share a common heritage in that regard as far as uh, the book of David and uh, excuse me, the, the lineage of David and Solomon and, um, the, you know, uh, the, the book of uh, Old Testament and things of that nature. So um, we'll get into that. You know, we'll get into why this is a particular interesting subject and we'll get into everything involving just Gaza Strip. But I want to say that uh, wherever you stand on this issue, um, 
my big thing is humanity. And my big thing is, is centering on the conversation on humanity. And it's hard to have that conversation when you're not, uh, when you're not having hearing it from the sides that are important and the voices that are being deeply affected. Um, so we'll get into that in a portion, but before we do all that, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. Uh, if you're listening on Apple, um, continue to not only subscribe, but also uh, make, leave a rating and perfectly, preferably a five-star review um, is part of the helps part of the algorithms uh, If you're listening on Spotify, please continue to subscribe and share. Um, you can also find this podcast on KamaraWilliams.com where we have an active blog that may or may not discuss the topics in that week. And it's, it's good for engagement for those who are um, fans of the program. Finally, I would like everybody to continue to share this program with their friends and family. Um, we always say personal engagement is the best engagement. Uh, text message or social media. Say, I really like this section or like when they talked about certain things. Um, you know, it helps us uh, continue to grow. And in part of that growth, we want to thank our sponsors of Compass Tax Advisors. If you are trying to reach a tax attorney, you can reach them at 850-273-7193 at mycompasstax.com. Um, let them know that you were sent by Uncultured Bias Podcast. Uh, also, if you're in the market for a property, please contact uh, keystoneglobalrealestate.com. Uh, that's 407-680-8510. That's keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And finally, my law firm of Smith & Williams Trial Group. You can reach us at, uh, obviously, swtglaw.com or 888-SWTGLaw uh, or 888-798-4529. All right, beautiful. So we got through all that housekeeping. So we were actually talking about uh, what happened in the Gaza Strip. And I'm going to bring my man on, my frat brother, Ahmad. Yo, Ahmad, you still here? Yeah, yeah. What's happening, good brother? What's going on, bro? What's going on, man? Yo, first of all, I just want to say this was my. I actually, Ahmad's <laughs> funny. I uh, I did on Facebook post like, yo, I'm gonna have my boy on my frat um, on, and you know, I want to get on a different perspective. And to the form, Ahmad <laughs> texted me like, yo, man, uh, we I ain't getting on no program with no Zionist. <laughs> So I just want to say the views of Ahmad are those of Ahmad. <laughs> the views of Ahmad I mean, is strictly the cool Ahmad. Is, the cool thing is I could say that my viewpoints do reflect that of my organization at this point in time. So no disclaimer needed. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, so go ahead and introduce the world to who you are and, you know, why you're so lovely. <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate it, good brother. First of all, thank you um, for making the space. Um, you know, I actually first want to say Eid uh, Mubarak, Eid uh, Karim to all my Muslim sisters and brothers celebrating all across the world right now is literally the very beginning of, I'm sure, what is uh, a really difficult Eid celebration for the billions of Muslims across the world as we watch what's happening in in, in Palestine, because Palestine obviously is such a crucial place in the world to all of the Abrahamic faiths. So, you know, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, but obviously with this being the end of the holy month of Ramadan and, and the beginning of the Eid cel celebration, this is a particularly sensitive moment for for the Muslim community. So before we get into Palestine and and myself a little bit, I wanted to definitely just say Eid Mubarak, Eid Karim to all my um, fellow members of the Ummah across the world. Um, my name is Ahmed Abu Zneid. I, I happen to right now direct the United States Campaign for Palestinian Rights, also known as USCPR. And our goal 
uh, as an institution is to end uh, the U.S. Uh, military funding and support for the state of Israel until, of course, it complies with um, international human rights law and its obligations to the Palestinian people and until we see uh, actual um, legitimate liberation and equality and freedom for the Palestinian people. Um, prior to serving in this role, um, I, I played a couple of different key roles in the Arab American community at the national level, um, but I think, you know, the, the thing I'm always immensely pro uh, proud to mention is that I was one of the co-founders of the Dream Defenders, the Florida-based organization founded in the wake of the, the murder of Trayvon Martin. And, you know, uh, I'm really immensely proud of the, what we did in those days, but, but even more proud of what Dream Defenders continues to do today. So I think that's a good start for me uh, introducing myself. Oh, oh, and of course, always a part of the oldest and the coldest. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Okay. You know, hey. We did say good brothers, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, Ice Cold, you know, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, Iota Delta Chapter, Florida State University. What's up, good brother? What's up, good brother? Yo, um, also, one, one thing, I first of all, shout out to the fact that Dream Defenders and you and Philip, y'all started that, and um, Philip's actually a, he's still, he's frat. I mean, it's Philip, he's in Miami still? Where's he at now? He's in Miami still, absolutely. Okay, yeah, so, you know, shout out that fact and one of the reasons uh, I, I definitely wanted to bring you on number one when am i going to get an invitation to uh mubar how do i say it? i don't want to mess it up i don't want to how do i how do I, to palestine no or? no i want to the end of ramadan there's a big feast that oh, oh 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 that's an iftar iftar iftar, yeah. iftar yes when am i yeah. going to get an invitation to that every man? Night. yeah every night we break our fast with an iftar, which is ba basically literally trans translates to break your fast, like breakfast, and um, and we do it usually community style or family style. So, brother, you know we got to make that happen for you next Ramadan. Yeah, we're gonna do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on that, man. I'm waiting on that. But um, one of the things I definitely wanted to bring you on though, because you're actually from the area that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I was born in Palestine. I was born specifically in the city of Jerusalem, um, you know, a, a city, again, near and dear to so many people across the world. Um, and, you know, I, I really, you know, f feel such a strong spiritual and emotional and passionate connection to the land. You know, lived there a few years as a child in Jerusalem, also lived in the West Bank, uh, cities known as Hebron and Dura. Um, and so, yeah, happy to talk about my homeland. Yeah. Um, what a lot of people don't re remember is how we got to the point of, um, you know, Israel and, um, being, um, I guess the center or on top of, of what the Palestinian called uh, the occupation. Right. And I mean, it, it starts after, uh, you know, the, United Nations plan to place uh, the uh, Jewish refugees from um, from Germany into the uh, Palestinian area. That's the, what they call the the land of Canaan. Yeah, it it actually starts much earlier than that, though. Um, you know, we we have to be clear that you know Jewish people were experiencing intense anti-Semitism in Europe. Uh, this is a fact. Uh, we actually know uh, that the worst of anti-Semitism that we've seen in the world has come from Europe. Mm -hmm. We know that because uh, the Nazis and Hitler were one of the greatest monstrosities we've ever seen in the world. So 
so around the late 1800s, uh, there were some um, uh, Jewish uh, folks in Europe that began to look to build a Zionist uh, state. Uh, they felt they wanted to establish a Jewish homeland. And they actually looked at several pieces of land. Uh, they looked at land in South America and they looked at land in Africa. And they finally settled on Palestine because of the um, the historic connection that exists between, again, the Abrahamic faiths, so Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, of course, but they thought that because of the Judaic connection to the land, that Palestine would make the most sense. And so important to note that this movement started um, the late 1800s and then finally, finally found imperialist support from the British because another important note is that at the end of World War One, the British and the French in the Sykes-Picot Agreement, what's known as the Sykes-Picot Agreement, decided how to carve up uh, the Middle East and North Africa, yeah. what was formerly the Ottoman Empire. So at one point, all of these lands were a part of the Ottoman, a.k.a. Turkish yeah. Empire. Um, and so we were actually looking for our freedom from the Ottoman Empire. And then the British came in and had mandatory power over Palestine from about 1917 until uh, the 1940s. Uh, and the British in 1917 issued what's uh, known uh, as the Balfour Declaration. Yeah. And in the Balfour Declaration in 1917, the British government decided to say that they supported the establishment of, Jew of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. And so... You know, for those who say Palestine never existed, even in the documents that they utilized to found the state of Israel, they referred to it as Palestine. And in fact, some of the first um, Zionist organizations that were founded were known as Palestine colonization agencies. And so they, they were very clear about the fact that they had a colonial project in Palestine. So we, we understand now that the, um, the intention behind the Zionist movement started out in Europe. So what's interesting is that Europe had such a vested interest in this particular uh, placement. And I just, I don't, I, I know the biblical reasons why it was so important, but from the Palestinian side, how did you view um, the settlement of uh, the Jewish uh, people in that particular area? Or how, I guess, what your grandparents or whatnot, how did they feel about that? Or how did they discuss it? Sure. Yeah, well, well, you know, the, the interesting thing is there actually had been Jewish people living in Palestine alongside us the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and so Zionists like to paint the picture of kind of this uh, Jewish mass return. But, you know, in reality, there were Palestinians who were Jewish. There were, you know, Jewish people who lived in Jerusalem uh, who spoke Arabic with their neighbors, who uh, were in community with their Muslim and, and uh, Christian neighbors. And it was a, it was a minority. It was a small minority. Um, but, you know, the reality was there were Jews in Palestine under the Ottoman period um, who existed um, peacefully and happily alongside their Christian uh, and Muslim neighbors. And, you know, Zionism was... Uh, a way of putting uh, a European uh, uh, a solution into uh, into an area of land that had nothing to do with uh, the European situation. The uh, what, I mean, what I mean to say is that um, if you look at the history, 
um, uh, Jews tended to have greater safety uh, and security in Muslim and Arab societies uh, than uh, that of Europe. And so uh, I think, you know, the reality of what happened was Zionism, uh, in, a, in a way, attempted to also like divide up and conquer within Jewish and Arab identities. So if you are Jewish and Arab, you all of a sudden had to choose one mm. um, because to be you would have to be a Zionist before you would be Arab. And so then you would essentially be choosing your your Jewish side over your Arab side. So I want to. I would definitely want to get into that because you know the criticism of Judaism being being Juda, Jewish and Judaism, and also being critical of the Israel state. Yeah. Right? You know yeah. because that be, it, we started to see, especially now in modern society, they're so cl- closely aligned that when you criticize Israel, yeah. you, it's almost like where you're criticizing, you yeah. know, Judaism or the Jewish people, and it's, yeah. It's a very, that's a very fine line. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great point of discussion. First, I want to lift up a text that I highly recommend, and it's written by a Jewish brother who uh, is of Arab descent. Mm. His name is Mas'ud Hayoun, and so that's spelled, I believe, A-M-A-S-S-O-U-D-H-A-U-O-U-N. I could be a little off, but if you Google that name, you will find the text. And the name, is, the name of the book is When We Were Arabs. And he talks a lot about his grandparents that were from Morocco and Tunisia and Northern Africa who were Jews, but were also Arab. So meaning they ate Arab foods, they spoke Arab language, they, they, they listened to Arab music, you know, they felt like they were a part of the Arab fabric, the Arab peoplehood. And Zionism made Jews in the Arab world and really all over the world, it, it made them want, it, it tried to force them to, to make a decision, right? So if you're French, are you Jewish and French or are you going to be Israeli, mm. right? Are you, if you're American and Jewish, are you going to be an American or are you going to be Israeli, right? It, this Israeli. So, so part of the confusion is, is based on the fact that Israel purports itself to represent the Jewish people. It yeah. says it is the Jewish state. And so part of the confusion actually comes from uh, intentional propaganda uh, from the Zionists and, and the Israeli establishment. They want us to believe that every Jew is a Zionist uh, because it is somehow written that way that they would be Zionists. But that's actually absolutely not the case. There's, in fact, Jewish organizations uh, today uh, that are newer and Jewish uh, organizations that have ex- existed for for decades, but one of the newer ones is Jewish Voice for Peace. is in great has gained incredible popularity amongst young Jewish Americans um, and liberal and and progressive Jewish Americans because they're increasingly frustrated with people trying to identify them with the Israeli government. So that's a line of demarcation that I really want to you know pivot into. Um... How can we actually have an honest conversation about Israel without it being propagated that we are attacking um, Jewish people? Like, how can we have those things? Like, because I find it to me, I find it interesting when I when I see things on in the political space or social political space and people are uh, when they make a criticism of Israel, it's automatically deemed anti-Semitic and. I think we have to walk away from that stuff because it's like 
uh, first of all, there is anti-Semitism, and we abhor it in every sense of the word. And I, we don't we don't believe in it. I don't. I, you know, personally, if anybody knew my my history, my religious history, they would know that um, they would see pictures of me in, you know, the, the yarmulke and, and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they would see things. So, I mean, I'm not yeah. going to get, that's another podcast from the day, but um, for anybody who would ever think that I would ever want to be anti-Semitic would be ignorant, even to my own history. But I think there's a real, there's some room where you can actually be critical of Israel and how they operate in um, Palestine. Yep. Absolutely. And so I'll take it a step further. I think it's absolutely uh, moral, ethical, and just for us to even question Israel's right to exist or Israel's existence. Why do I say that? You know, first and foremost, we have to again acknowledge that it is a colony, it is a settler colonial state. And so, you know, if we were to ask the Native Americans, uh, does the United States of America have a right to exist? They may have uh, a different opinion. Uh, than someone who's, uh, let's say, a British, uh, a, a someone of British descent in the U.S. who has, you know, occupied the space of um, white privilege um, and and maybe even attained some some you know portion of wealth. They may have a different opinion, but it doesn't make the opinion of the Native American less just right. or less right or less on point. And so I say that to say that for Palestinians, we can absolutely be viciously against anti-Semitism. We can be really hardcore allies in the fight against anti-Semitism. Actually, I would argue that, you know, while we see chants of white people in Charlottesville saying Jews will not replace us, I think that, you know, Palestinians and racial justice advocates are an ally, actively an ally against those types of movements. However, in Israel, we saw a state founded to be a ethno state a state founded to be for Jewish people at the expense of non-Jews. And it happened in a land where a majority of the population was non-Jewish. And so if if we're to apply any other frameworks of settler colonialism that we've looked at throughout the world, so South Africa, um, the United States, or any other um, examples of settler colonialism, we know that they imported a population from abroad. They kicked out the population that was there. They worked along with British imperialism and then, and then of course, U.S. imperialism eventually to continue to maintain its dominance. And it exists in an area of the world where U.S. and British Western imperialism wanted a foothold. And so in the midst of all these Arab countries and in the midst of all these oil-rich Muslim nations, there now exists uh, an imperial... Uh, state, a state that has the most powerful uh, military in the region and a state that's connected on a political and economic level with uh, with the United States. So so that's that's always important to note because, you know, we we, we could coexist with any people uh, in Palestine. In fact, again, I, I lift up that there were Jews in Palestine. Our opposition is simply to the fact that we can't say due to the immense injustice that one community faced it is then okay for them to inflict an equal uh, or any injustice upon another people. Furthermore, you know, on this note, it is absurd. It is absolutely absurd that people would respect and lift up a call of Jews to return to a land from 3,000 years ago uh, 
while not respecting that same call for Palestinians that were kicked out just 50, 60, 70 years ago. It is just absurd to me that we would say, of course they have the right to return. You know, they were kicked out of this land by the, the Romans 3,000 years ago, but then with the same breath to say that Palestinians who were kicked out of their homes in the last hundreds, hundred years do not have that right. It is absurd to me in 2021 that we could say that one is a moral and ethical call for return and another one is is not. We'll, we'll rock into that, um, you know, because I think that's an important conversation of, of, of you know, settlement, right? Because um, you've actually, I think you've, in our private conversation, you've experienced some of that, or at least you've had family that have experienced some of that. Um, one of the things I thought about, I, I think about as you were, were talking about the Israel um, state, what a lot of people don't realize is that up until from 1948, there was a conflict. Arab and Israel conflict, but um, 1970s up until 1970s, there was still a left-wing Jewish ideal of, you know, of settlement regarding having a peaceful existence between um, Palestinians and Israel. And then something happened in that time period where it started to get more far right, and that they've controlled the far right right wing. Um, party in Israel has controlled that particular um, spectrum of uh, Israel politics since the 1970s. And as that, it is that conversation in which it's a hard right um, uh, concept of pushing out, uh, you know, a Palestinian home, a Palestinian uh, uh, homeowners. And he, I think there was, a, I saw a crazy map that, there was an outline of how Palestinians had a certain particular section that would outline in Jerusalem and it's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller each decade. Yep. You know, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I wouldn't necessarily say that in the beginning there was uh, any opportunity for uh, peace. Again, this was a colonial entity. And so, whether there was peace uh, or not between the uh, the Israelis and Palestinians or other Arab neighbors, it was inconsequential to them because they had a goal in mind of overtaking land. And when you're going to take over people's land, you assume that you're going to create a certain amount of enemies. It is the natural, um, you know, logical conclusion if you decide you're going to take over a certain piece of land. What I will say is you're absolutely spot on in recognizing that Israeli society has trended more and more to the right and they have confiscated more and more palestinian land and so that like that's why i want to crystallize the point i mentioned earlier between us as palestinians and this political ideology this nationalist ideology known as as zionism so there cannot there there eventually would be a divorce between zionism and any sort of political or i mean any sort of progressive ideals they cannot coexist at the same time why well, because if we believe in progressive values, meaning that no matter your religion, your race, your national background, your socioeconomic status, your, you know, all of the reasons you deserve equality and justice and to be treated based on the content of your character. If we really prescribe to live by the ideals that Dr. King was mentioning for us, then how could you possibly be in support of a state that says, we privilege this one over another. And I would say the same for a Muslim 
specific state or a Christian specific state that says to its non-Christians or its non-Muslims, you are lesser than. This is not your nation. Even if you look at the design of the Israeli flag, it has the Star of David. And the Star of David, sure, is a very special um, uh, symbol for Jews, but it's not a very uh, special symbol, symbol for Christians and Muslims. Uh, we, we have other symbols, you know, uh, Christians. And, and by the way, Palestinians are one of the oldest or probably the oldest Christian community in the world, right? If Jesus himself was preaching in Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem, you know, the naturally the people who would end up living through that land are, are the people who are carrying that message from its closest uh, inception. And so, you know, to think of a state where we would privilege Jews over Christians or Jews over Muslims when it should be for all of us is an absurdity. And so that's why I think eventually you, of course, start to see the shift of the Israeli society to the right um, and, and an expansion of land. Because once you tell people this is your land, mm -hmm. this is not the Arabs land, this is not the, the Christians land, this is not the Muslims land, this is land given to you by God, we are seeing God used as a real estate agent. Then we've, we've seen how this ideology um, can, can, you know, cause great, great detriment to the, to the native indigenous population. And I'll just last, last note is we saw a similar connection with Manifest Destiny. I was just getting ready to say that. It's, it was, it's, it's sounding very much, it's giving me the Manifest Destiny energy there. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, um, how it's going and how's it started, uh, how it started and how's it going, right? Like. Yeah. You know, this wasn't like Israel somehow coming up with some new system out of nowhere. This isn't some kind of nefarious, um, you know, conspiracy theory against Jews. No, this was a political ideology born out of Europe. And, and, and one thing that's important to note is, again, if European powers were the most anti-Semitic and they also established the state of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. They supported the establishment of the state of Israel, right? If British, if the British were so anti-Semitic, but they also supported this endeavor, what does that say? If Donald Trump and Richard Spencer and these white nationalists, the Charlottesville people, if they, if we know they are anti-Semitic, but we also know that they are some of the most ardent, strongest Israel supporters, what does that tell us? Right. It tells us that you can support Israel and be anti-Semitic. Yeah. Right. And you can absolutely support Jewish people and be against anti-Semitism and be opposed to the right of Israel to exist. Because at the, it and, and, and let's take it a step further. You can actually um, you can actually oppose uh, the human rights violations that is happening in that area. Right. Because the, the U.N. on numerous occasions has said that Israel has operated uh, with. Uh, reckless abandonment as far as human rights violations. Um, I'm going to play an interview. Uh, it's broken up into three sections, but you know, right. uh, you, you can, and I want you to give me your commentary after this. Right. Quote, they're coming to finish what they started. Well, Mohammed Alka joins me now from Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. You grew up uh, in, in the neighborhood. Your family home is slated for eviction. What is the scene right now? Well, I thank you so much for having me. To start, it's not really an eviction. It's forced ethnic di displacement, to be accurate, because an eviction implies legal authority. While the Israeli occupation has no legitimate jurisdiction over the eastern parts of occupied Jerusalem under international law, it also implies the presence of a landlord. And certainly, these Israeli settlers have not built their homes. They're not our landlords. They don't own our land. 
And thirdly, eviction does not imply the hundreds and hundreds of heavily armed police and army and settlers colluding, blowing up your doors, throwing your children from your windows and using brute force to throw you out in the street and assaulting and arrest you should you resist. It doesn't imply the grenades, it doesn't imply the rubber-coated bullets. It's not an eviction. According to the UN and countless politicians and human rights organizations, it could amount to war crimes. Actually, the situation is pretty tense, I can, I can tell you, and we're very scared of losing our homes to Israeli settler organizations. Uh, these settlers and, and courts would argue that their claims to the land predates you and your family. Have you been allowed to prove otherwise? No. Um, courts, the Israeli courts, the Israeli occupation courts take their documents without verification, without authentication or challenge, whereas our documents will not be looked at. Um, they will not be taken into con consideration. Besides, just, beside, just because something is technically legal does not mean it's ethical or moral or historically just or accurate or correct. We've seen many, many systems exploit the law and exploit the judiciary to uphold supremacist and racist um, lives. You've written very powerfully about You've written very powerfully about being 11 and remembering this incident that I spoke about, uh, about these settlers coming to your home and, 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 and taking half of it. How does it feel to have grown up with what you've called the anxiety of dispossession? It feels familiar because this is what every Palestinian feels like under um, the crushing fangs of Israeli colonialism in Palestine. My grandmother was thrown out of her home in 1948 in Haifa, and she was thrown out again in 1967, and again in 2009 when Israeli settler organizations colluding with the Israeli state took over half of our home. And this is my second time being dispossessed from my family, should they go ahead and do it to me. It's scary, but it also has a name. It's settler colonialism, and it's apartheid, and it's the fact that these settler organizations are working together with the state to exploit the law to dispossess Palestinians. Uh, what would you like from the international community? There has been a response by many uh, to the situation your family is in right now. Uh, what, what would you like to hear, especially from the new Biden administration? Well, you know, I think the myths of self-defense and both sides are growing more and more penetrable. People are being able to see through these myths and call an occupation for what it is and call an aggressor for what it is. And this is what, what we're going under, what, what, we're, what we're facing in Sheikh Jarrah, in Jerusalem, in the Gaza Strip, in Lid, um, is colonial violence. And it's only allowed because both the state and the settlers know they have impunity. The settlers are emboldened by an apartheid state that allows them to open carry in Palestinian neighborhoods. And the state is, an embold is emboldened by an international community that refuses to call it out for what it is that allows it to target, to intentionally target civilian neighborhoods in the Gaza Strip and massacre 24 Palestinians, including nine children, without facing any consequences. I don't expect much of the Biden administration, knowing that Ned Price refused to even condemn the killing of nine Palestinian children, tells me all I need to know. Obviously, I would like the international community to hold Israel accountable under international law, but I also hope free people of the world do their part to push their governments. Do you support the protests, uh, the violent protests that have erupted in solidarity with you and, and, and other families in your position right now? Do you support um, the violent dispossession of me and my family? <laughs> and then he just dropped the mic, right? <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what do you think? I know that was a long interview, but I, it was, it was. I thought it was great because, um, it came from a perspective of somebody not only living it, but it was a it it was a very real understanding of what's happening and how they feel like they're being dispossessed from their own land continually. And um, the narrative is often like, you know, it, um, Israel, uh, Israel has a right to certain portions of the land. But what a lot of people don't realize is the breakup of Jerusalem. Um, I, and you can probably, you could speak to that a little bit better, obviously a lot, a lot better than I can, but there's a certain portion of Jerusalem that is Palestinian, is, I think is West Jerusalem. Is it is it West Jerusalem that is generally East Jerusalem is the uh, is where Sheikh Jarrah and the majority Palestinian population. Okay, East Jerusalem, and then West and then West is generally where more Israeli um, factions. Yeah. yeah, Palestinians were ethnically cleansed uh, from West Jerusalem, and so that is mostly now Jewish Israeli. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is now um, that even in the section that is uh, West Jerusalem, it's now becoming more and more Israeli. Well, that one's over. I mean, that one, it's it's really over uh, for Palestinians in West Jerusalem, at least in the current moment, because, again, they ethnically cleansed us from West Jerusalem um, in 1948. So so we're still in East Jerusalem, and that's the area they're actively taking up more and more uh, land and, how, and homes in. Okay. Um, and you're from East Jerusalem, right? Well, so I was born, I was born in, in East Jerusalem, man, and I got a chance to live in Beit Hanina and Sharafat areas, which are really rampant with settlements and settlers now, but I have only visited Sheikh Jarrah. And why I appreciate uh, Muhammad so much is not only because of his brilliance and his ability to check that journalist, you know, um, a lot of times is. It, when we come from certain communities and our and our narrative and our stories never shared, they ask us these asinine questions, right? So, you know, do you? She's asking this young man who's been kicked out of his home right. by a, a settler colonial force if he condemns the only people that are fighting back on his behalf, like, like you know, what I'm saying instead of saying like Muhammad, like, what can we do to support you and your family? And what are, you know, what's you're asking him to condemn some other people who are the only people that are actually responding on his behalf. So it's actually absurd, but his brilliance, his, his willingness to engage and lean in, but also dream defenders and I have a very special close relationship with Muhammad because when we started to take our delegations to Palestine and we did our first in 2015, we met with Muhammad and we have footage with him when he was, you know, like 15, 16 years old, a young, you know, poet. And he shared some amazing poetry for us about Jerusalem. And, um, that was when he, when you know uh, his grandmother was still alive, and and you know may she rest in peace, Allah um, Hamha. You know if she had to experience now her fourth time being um, potentially evicted. Yeah. Um, you know I, I'm in his words, we're glad that she you know she didn't have to experience this again. Um, one of the things that's it's hard for those who don't live there is to understand how can they keep getting away with kicking people out of their homes like what is happening that nobody else is fighting like you know are there any consequences when you bring a claim to being displaced obviously i know the answer to this but i just want you to speak speak on that 
I mean, and that's the frustration for the Palestinian people, right? Is if we protest, we get gunned down. Yeah. If we, if we resist violently, we're labeled terrorists. If we ask for people to boycott, we're labeled anti-Semitic, right? I mean, they literally are not giving us any avenue. If, if we go to the ICC, the U.S. government starts to threaten the ICC. Yeah. If we go to the Security Council, the U.S. vetoes it. You know, people have, have really... Uh, attempted to make the the dynamic very clear through questioning the State Department. I mean, most recently, uh, Ned Price, I believe, who was the spokesperson, um, was was asked in a question by Saeed Arakat, who's a, a Palestinian American journalist. He asked him, "Do the Palestinian people have a right to self defense?" Right. So you know, U.S. U.S. government always issues a statement. I mean, yeah. you can read the statement from 2014, 2012, 2008, yeah. 2008. I promise you it's the exact same statement, brother. Yeah. Israel you know, has a right to defend itself. Exactly. We stand unequivocally with Israel, Israel our partner, our ally, the only democracy in the Middle East. Israel has a right to defend itself. But, like, what does that mean for the Palestinian people? Because if you come in my house and you rob uh, – half you rob me of half of my home and then you 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 slightly encroach more and more upon the rest of my home and you tell me i can't fight back because if i do i'm a terrorist you tell me i can't boycott because if i do i'm anti-semitic um we can't go to the courts we can't go to the international community what do we do and so you know palestinians are really fed up and that's why you're seeing what right now is possibly the third intifada. You know, we've had first and second intifadas, yeah. um, which have been popular uprisings. That That's the actual definition, the translation of intifada. It's an uprising. Um, we saw one in the late 80s. We saw one in the early uh, 2000s. Pa Palestinians rising up against um, the Israeli government and the occupation and the apartheid system and the colonialism. And right now, I think we're in one of those moments where um, we can't let our feet off the gas pedal. Um, it is all systems go. You know, we, for the first time in history of the U.S., have several members of Congress willing to speak up in support of our movement. Right. And that would that was previously taboo. That was something they used to tell you was a no, no. That was something they used to tell you could ruin your political career. But we're in a new moment where we're challenging politicians to dream beyond those dynamics. We're, we're, we're asking for politicians to apply human rights and equality and justice. Those same liberal ideals and values that they sp they spout out every election cycle. We're asking them to apply those for the first time ever to Palestine. Um, and we hope they answer the, the call because every minute they don't answer that call, we're going to unfortunately continue to see, um, you know, more more violence on the ground. So one of the things we, we want to peel away is the idea that because somebody is criticizing um, or fighting for their right to exist, because that's really what's happening for a lot of these people. They're, right. they're fighting for their right to exist that all of a sudden now they have to disavow violence that is happening on the extremist side of their, this particular section. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I have to disavow something? And yet at the same time, you're not even, you're not even criticizing what's happening to me. You're, you just devalued my situation because you're trying to create a narrative. That's right. And, 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 and yeah, no, if I may, because you're laying it up here perfectly, you know, and, and what what gets lost when when you think of those things is the imbalance of power. Right. So, yeah. again, Israel having the, the most powerful military in the uh, in the region, Israel having nuclear weapons, 
uh, Israel getting $4 billion of funding, military funding from, annually from, from the, the United US. States, right? Yeah. Israel having the majority of the population. Israel is the one actively pushing out Palestinians, right? The inverse is not true. Like the power dynamic is so important to the context. Like right now there are Jewish only settlements, right? There are laws that privilege Jews above non-Jews, right? There is a blockade on a Palestinian community, not a Jewish community, right? There's rights granted to Jews, not granted to non-Jews. So, so the power dynamic is so important to this context because people just think, Oh, well, well, the Palestinians fired a rocket, so we got to condemn them. And, and then, you know, and then maybe, you know, we, we can get to a conversation on the Israelis. No, the fundamental conversation is this root uh, injustice of colonialism, right? People are being oppressed. The occupation, the apartheid, all of this is incredibly violent. And when we see a flare up from Palestinians, we're all of a sudden asked to condemn. And we're seeing it from, of course, all the status quo mainstream politicians. Um, but, but, you know, we have to rise up and say, there's a fundamental root issue here that we need to deal with. And it's Israeli colonialism and ethnic cleansing. So we, at, and what I want to sit there and reiterate that nobody is sitting there and saying that the Jewish people do not have the right to exist. Absolutely not. All right. Absolutely not. I don't want to. And I'm, and nobody's sitting here saying that they don't have a right to humanity in their in that existence, wherever they live, wherever they live. But what, we, but what we want, but wherever. Right. In the United States, it doesn't matter. But what I want to make sure that if we can when we ignore the humanity of one section of people by devaluing what's happening to them because it doesn't, it doesn't contribute to a narrative, then what you're, what you're actually doing is displaying a power dynamic in which you just, you know, explained because power is, is um, only supported by money. Power is only supported by influence. Power is only supported by, um, narrative That's and right. so when you have those three things given to a particular um you know group and then another group once they're once they challenge that they're automatically demonized that's right that is a problem and that is where i have it like i how can you even have a full conversation criticizing let's say israel when you by carte blanche by just saying that they have a right to defend themselves defend themselves from what Yep. What do you? What are they? And what? And and let's just be very frank here, because words matter. When you say defend, when you say defend, who were who was attacking them? That's right. And then when you say who's attacking them, what you're implying is that the attackers are in equal footing. And so these are things that, like, okay, let's just say, let's go with the fact that Israel has a right to defend itself. Defend itself from what Palestine? Is that what they're saying? And then, at the same time, like is Palestine at war with Israel? Is that the question? Is that the statement? Because that's what you're saying, and that, you see, words are important. Yep. Is Palestine in, in at war with Israel? No, Palestine is not. A, it's not at war with Israel. There is a particular group of Hamas. That's a, that is at war with a particular with Israel. That's right. Palestine has not has not co-signed Hamas. You know. Well, 
Well, look, it's important to mention that Hamas was elected democratically in 2006 in, in the elections. And, you know, we can get into that. That's possibly a podcast for another day. But in reality, what happened was the Palestinian people had traditionally had uh, the leadership of a political party named Fatah. Right. Uh, and that's what that's what Yasser Arafat's political party was. And they were, you know, recognized to be the representatives as the, as the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. They were represented, uh, uh, you know, recognized as the representatives of the Palestinian people. Um, and, and for decades, they led in negotiations and even resistance uh, to the Israeli uh, colonialism. And, and it didn't achieve uh, a solution. And so in the 80s, actually, we saw the rise of Hamas. And so this is an important note, too, because, you know, again, the propaganda that we're listening to always points to Hamas. Oh, Hamas and the rockets and Hamas and the rockets. Well, here's here's a couple very clarifying points that are important to the context. Hamas wasn't established until the 80s. They promised Palestine to the Zionists in 1917, and then they, fir- like, uh, firmly and, and officially stole the land in 1948 with kicking out uh, 750,000 plus Palestinians and forming the state of Israel and then not allowing for uh, refugees uh, to return. So that that has to be, you know, crystal clear to everyone, um, you know, for the context here. It, it really does matter. Um, and then the second thing, and, and Trevor Noah just alluded to it in a bit that he just did on this subject. Um, I actually think his his piece was okay. Um, I had several issues with his piece, especially because he comes from South Africa. And, and yeah, we are not, yeah. For, for Palestinians, we were really like looking for the, the low-hanging fruit there, right? Like Mandela had stood in uh, solidarity with us because, you know, he likened it to what was happening. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the same. Even uh, Mandela's, um, you know, grandchildren to this day are marching for Palestine. So we kind of thought he would... Um, go with, you know, um, go with that. But he he kind of dressed it up in a super, like, liberal, oh, we can't, you know, I understand it's sensitive this. And I didn't appreciate that. What I did appreciate that I'm, I'm trying to get to now is the ending. When he talked about the difference in numbers of casualties. Yeah, I was just going to get to that. Yeah. So Israelis like to, you know, again, the propaganda machine wants to tell you about the amount of rockets. They'll always tell you, oh, well, what about the 600 rockets? Well, how many Israelis were actually hurt or how many Israelis were actually killed by those rockets? Because what we know is in the summer of 2014, mm-hmm. over 3,000 Palestinians were killed or over 2,000, I'm sorry, Palestinians were killed, including over 500 children. Yeah. And if we look at the other side, they would tell you, oh, maybe uh, a few dozen soldiers, important to know soldiers. And then they would say maybe like, let's say three to five civilians. Well, the, the problem is, of the casualties on the Palestinian side are also civilians. Yeah. So again, who has the right to defend themselves and who's going to defend the Palestinian people? So let's just walk, let's walk through that because we have, especially what's happening recently um, in the last few days, the death toll is remarkably Palestinian overwhelmingly. Um, to the point where, you know, at last count, it was 15 children. That's right. That were, I mean, that was just, just children. I think we had 40-something people and 15 children. And then you had on, you know, the Israeli side, I think you had five casualties, but, like, four of them were soldiers. You know, and it's, it's like, it's not, it's like, one of these things are not, the, are not like the other. Yeah, it's, you know? it's, 
it's such a huge imbalance of power and 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 and, and related to that point you know i Look, I, I don't want any any civilians harmed anywhere, at right? All, Again, all. all all safety and and love to any like peace abiding, um, anti colonial, you know, you know, anti. Uh, how, how do I say? Just just anyone who is not filled with hate, you know, and anyone who is genuinely wishing upon peace, I wish them that. But but important to note, many Israelis now are gathering in their bomb shelters, right? Right. That that's one of the frequent stories. Oh, you know, the family had to gather in the bomb shelter. Look, I'm I'm sorry that you live in a reality where you you know you have to go under a bomb shelter, but the reality is the Palestinians don't have bomb shelters, right? Yeah. The people of Gaza don't have bomb shelters. We're seeing footage, you're seeing footage yeah. of 13, 13 story residential buildings being flattened. Yeah. There's no fucking bomb, there's no fucking bomb shelter for these people, right? No. There's no bomb shelter, man. So it, it really the imbalance of power is so critical to this conversation. So you know, and it, let's let's just be let's keep it all the way funky, bro. Like the idea that because they say, oh, we we've given announcements that we're getting rid of bomb this area. This is how, how when you when you displace people and you tell them to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, and then you're like, hey, we're gonna bomb the area. So many people don't have where anywhere to go. That's right. And so right. so now you're bombing in areas that you've already forced them into and they don't have anywhere else to go. And then you're like, "Hey, we gave them we gave them a several hour warning to get out, get out of there." That's the reality what's happening. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, we're not talking about that, but that is the and that is the sense where the, the UN has stated repeatedly that um Israel has continued to violate human rights in the way not only how they've displaced people but how they've acted towards palestinian civilians that's right that's right so so for instance when we're talking about gaza most of the people of gaza are actually refugees from other parts of what is now considered the state of israel yeah so so, so now you're wiping them you know you've pushed them out there and now you're you're just assaulting them and again there's a blockade in gaza so it's it's known as the largest open air prison in the world because you have an israeli blockade on one side right. an egyptian, egyptian blockade on the other right but Ultimately, the Israelis control everything that goes in and everything that, that goes, goes out, out, including the people, yeah. right? So so now you're being literally harbored into a small, tight-fit, open-air prison. Yeah. And then similarly, the people of Sheikh Jarrah, Muhammad's family, his grandmother was from Haifa originally. So she was ethnically cleansed from Haifa. They resettled in Sheikh Jarrah, and now they're coming for them in Sheikh Jarrah. Yeah. So what, what he just said, and just to lay it out, you hear the Gaza Strip, it's literally a strip of land between... Israel and Egypt. You That's know? right. And, you know, this is why Israel actually, I mean, excuse me, Egypt um, was trying to, which is odd, interesting enough, was trying to talk to the Palestinian leaders like, hey, can we just dial down the energy, uh, the the um, the response, uh, because we're trying to, you know, we're trying to cut down on this particular, you know, battle. And this is, the I think, the most extensive battle they've had since 2014 um in that area the gaza strip and so between hamas and um israel the state of israel and so you know just kind of give everybody a visual of what's happening people are being pushed to a particular strip of land they don't have any protection and then now they're getting bombarded um by missiles and so forth which is actually out outlawed that's right. White white sulfur is actually outlawed yeah. 
in sure. based on the Geneva Accords and Israel's using it and nobody's challenging that. Well, look, I, Israel, as you mentioned, the United Nations has made quite clear that Israel is one of the most frequent and habitual violators of human rights across the world. So, uh, you know, a blockade is inhumane and it's illegal, right? Um, bombing indiscriminately in residential neighborhoods is illegal. Moving in an occupier population while actively moving out the occupied population is a war crime. All of these things are war crimes. The problem is the application, right? So when the Security Council, again, you have these permanent members like the United States, mm-hmm. when you have a permanent member like the US that can veto any time possible, yeah. any resolution condemning Israel, then, then there's never going to be any teeth to a resolution. And so important to note that the United States has has defended Israel, not just armed it, but defended it in every avenue. And the last time we saw the, the US give maybe like, let's say a slight uh, tip of the hat to the Palestinian people was in the last few months of the Barack Obama administration. President Barack Obama had engaged in, you know, really um, kind of a tense back and forth, you know, really behind the scenes with Benjamin Netanyahu for so many reasons, the Iran deal being amongst them. Yeah. Um, but he went ahead and decided to not allow for the uh, U.S. to veto a Security Council resolution condemning settlements. He asked for the U.S. representative at the U.N. to abstain. So, you know, the the kind of the most, I guess, powerful moment um, during that presidency for us was when he, in fact, didn't do anything. When he called for the U.S. to just sit this one out, that was like a victory for us. So that's interesting because currently in the Biden administration, they're talking to the U.N. and they're trying to tell the UN to um, the UN wants to actually speak out about what's happening to Gaza in against what's happening in Israel. And, and the Biden administration is telling them to hold, hold off on making a commentary until, until they can actually um, have a say in what's happening. And that's just showed you the power. And look, if I'm putting $4 billion into something, you're damn right. I'm going to protect that interest and you're damn right i'm going to make sure that the it's going to look like the the pr spin is going to be important to how we're characterizing because otherwise it looks like i'm making a terrible investment into something right um so i want to since i mentioned the biden administration i'm going to play you some biden speeches if you don't mind sounds fun <laughs> i'm going to play your earlier speech and then in second and secondary one. Oh, i already know which ones are coming i know uncle joe Okay. <laughs> okay. Look at the Middle East. I think it's about time we stop those of us who support, as most of us do, Israel in this body, for apologizing for our support for Israel. There's no apology to be made. None. It is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. The United States would have to go out and invent an Israel. Fake! Oh, sorry. <laughs> For I a Jew, I would be a Zionist. And my father pointed out to me, I did not need to be a Jew to be a Zionist. For I am. Israel is essential to the security of Jews worldwide. 
So, uh, first of all, I want to apologize. I didn't mean to press psych <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> I literally did not mean to do that. I, I, I know for some that might be uh, an apropos to what the conversation yeah, yeah. but I literally pressed the wrong button. So please do not uh, kill me on that. But um, the point still remains. Uh, that The first speech was uh, Joe Biden when he was a congressman in the early 2000s or 90s. I don't know. He's been around. Uncle Joe's been around for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second speech is when he was in his run-up to presidency. Um, when he's speaking to APAC, and we'll get into what APAC is. Um, but because I played Uncle Joe, I think it's important to play his VP. Great. And then we can have we can have full throated conversations of, on America and their positioning and all that. All right. So let's play this one. So let me be clear about what I believe. I stand with Israel because of our shared values, which are so fundamental to the founding of both our nations. I believe the bonds between the United States and Israel are unbreakable, and we can never let anyone drive a wedge between us. I believe Israel should never be a partisan issue, and as long as I'm a United States Senator, I will do everything in my power to ensure broad and bipartisan support for Israel's security and right to self-defense. And that is why the first resolution I co-sponsored as a United States Senator was to combat anti-Israel bias at the United Nations. I believe Israel should... I think that Israel as a country is dedicated to um, being a democracy and is one of our closest friends in that region and that we should um, understand the shared values and priorities that we have as a democracy and, um, and, and conduct foreign policy in a way that is consistent with understanding the alignment between the American people and the people of Israel. Does Israel meet, your, you know, meet human rights standards to your personal satisfaction? Well, talk in more detail. What specifically are you referring to? As, as a country overall in terms of how they... Overall, yes. I th- those are some <laughs> those are some tough comments, man. So let's talk about Biden, and then we can get into um, Vice President Harris's statements. But uh, what do you think about Biden's overall statements? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I knew exactly what clips were coming because uh, you know I've you know been disgusted at those clips for for a while. Um, but like, let me say a couple things so we can you know keep it kind of brief. Um, I'm not shocked that someone who authored the crime bill. Um, I'm not shocked that someone who had relationships with segregationists um, and supported uh, states' rights at, at some point to choose. Um, I'm not shocked that someone like that would, um, you know, find it in their uh, spirit to defend uh, the state of Israel. Also, uh, Joe Biden uh, is a career politician and. You know, he frequently takes uh, the mainstream status quo position. Uh, And so he is who he is. Now, who I'd like to see, the Biden I'd like to see, um, so that he can show me that he's um, the moral and ethical human being he presents himself as. What I'd like to see is the Biden um, speaking out against South African apartheid. You got to check out that clip one day because, 
you know, Human Rights Watch, an internationally recognized human rights organization, issued a uh, a, a really vital report um, describing everything that Israel has been doing as apartheid. And not only that, but Beit Salem, uh, it's, it's an actual Israeli, it's the largest Israeli human rights organization. It's called Beit Salem. They also um, attach the apartheid word uh, to the state of Israel and its operations um, throughout Palestine. So, you know, you know why, though, they can the U.S. can condemn apartheid? I mean, you, you know why, but the reason we're not invested in South Africa. <laughs> so, well, we were then. But uh, well, well, we well, 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 let me just say this: when I say yeah. invested, I mean the strategic sure. investment of being sure. a in the Middle East, right? Sure. And it 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 does not behoove us to um, kill our strategic partner. On a PR side, because we need them in that in in being the Middle East. You heard what Joe said. So, if there were not in Israel, we ha- would have to invent one because of its strategic alignment of what it places us in that region of the world. Yep. Um, yep. And so, you don't pour four billion dollars into something because you like somebody. You pour that. You pour four billion dollars because it makes business sense. It's good business. Um, sure. And you just mentioned earlier how even how people like Trump and people in his administration who were clear anti-Semites, you know, and uh, well, let me not say Trump in per se, right? Because but because he's his daughter is married to someone who's of Jewish descent. That doesn't necessarily. I know. You know I just had really, to get that disclaimer out there. I'm with you. I had a disclaimer, but um, even with that being said. They still poured money into the Jewish state or Israel um, because it's good business sense to do so. Yeah, let me respond to that if, if, if I can. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, so first, you know, I'll, I'll just say, like in general terms, this is a thing my father would uh, used to say. My father, by the way, is the Palestinian ambassador to uh, Portugal. He, he's formerly the Palestinian ambassador to the Netherlands, and he would always say, "Well, fine, if the U.S. wants a friend in the region." They can have two friends. Yeah. They can have the Israelis and the Palestinians as friends. Yeah. And he would of course say that because you know he's supporting a two-state solution, all that. But but let me get into like dig into the meat of what you're suggesting here. Because you're you know, the good for business thing is something I have to dig into, not only as a Palestinian, but as an American, right? Because the Iraq war wasn't good business, Facts. right? The war in Afghanistan is not good business. Facts. Our- our, our our relationship to to Syria and what's happening in Syria has not been good business. Facts. Uh, our, our support of the war on Yemen has not been good business. Facts. So so we actually have to question what it means for it to be good for U.S. interests abroad. So like, what does that really mean? So what what does that does that make you, Kamara Williams, in in Orlando, say Orlando, you and your family? Does that make you all safer, um, potentially more? More, more economically um, in, in better position. Does, did, did all that help you? No, but here's what the the business stands for, right? Because yes, business. Now you you know, cold blooded capitalism has nope. nothing to do with humanity. It has something to do with you know. Uh, it. it has something to do with power, the power yep. dynamic, right? And I can't exert power in that area if I don't have a partner who's willing to allow me to insert themselves in that region. And so when I say good for business, I ain't necessarily talking about 
you know, financial. Because, you know, the U.S., they owe money. They owe money to China, but that don't mean nothing. You know, we, we in debt. We went in debt over this war, right? There was no reason yeah. for us to be in that war. But it wasn't about that. It was about establishment of, of you know, uh, uh, some will say settlement in Iraq and then in Iran, you know, and which we're pulling troops out now. But it uh, can creating a an environment to where our presence is normalized in that area, and I can't imagine that Palestinians would want continued imp- um, presence of the American occupation in the same way that Israel welcomes it. And you, can well, cor- you can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, well, look, the U.S. has bases all over the world. Yes. Right? And so, so again, like, uh, you know, what is good policy for us or what is good business for us? We already have bases all over the Arab world and, and all over the world in general, right? I actually don't think all of those bases make us safer. Now, again, I, I think if I you ask me, I agree. If, if, if you ask the average American if they would rather we dedicate, um, let's say, 80 percent of whatever that amount of our budget is to the military and, and, and the military industrial complex or whether they'd rather that be used for housing, health care, education. I'm pretty sure what most Americans would choose. Now, if we're just going to trust the big people in Washington, that just know better than us. And all of a sudden now they're running up trillions of tabs. They're leaving hundreds of thousands of dead bodies. They're leaving millions of refugees behind. Then I think we really just fundamentally have to question, are we the good guys? And what are we as American taxpayers willing to continue to pay for? What are we willing to continue to fund? The people of Flint are being told we don't have the money. We didn't have the money to fix the infrastructure, right? We don't have the money for health care. We don't have the money to, to end mass incarceration or, or get people's right, voting rights back. They got to pay a tax. I mean, we don't have the money for all these things, but we have money for war. We got money for war, but can't feed, feed the, the poor, poor, right? Tupac Shakur said that in the 90s, but here we are, right. 2021. So the idea that, and th- this is the argument, not Kamara Williams' arg- argument that I've heard, is that we need to continue to have um, military presence, not only throughout the world, but definitely in the Middle, mid-e- middle East, um, is because we don't. It allows us a quote unquote, and I, lack of a better term, a blockade against Eastern advancement vis-a-vis Russia or whatnot. Should they, you know, want to continue to um, have access to that side of the world or whatnot, and, and it, you know, allows us to have a partner or partners in the areas like you know, in the Jordan area and. Um, you know, obviously Egypt and things like that in you know, and Saudi and the Saudis. You know, th- these things uh, allow us to continue to have a presence in the area because we want to be able to almost quote unquote keep an eye out from that on that side of the the world. That's and I'm just paraphrasing here, but that's kind yeah, of gotcha. that's yeah. really what you know you hear why we need to have continued presence in yeah. the Middle East. Yeah, well, well, first and foremost, I'll say that's that's obviously Orientalist way of thinking. Um, you know, uh, that you have to imagine that, um, you know, the, the world is your chessboard and you can just play with it as you see fit and you can place pieces where you see fit. But, you know, 
Palestine isn't a part of the U.S.'s chessboard. Uh, we fundamentally reject being a part of anyone's chessboard. We, we actually just want our, our human dignity to be able to decide with our land, uh, you know, what we want to do with it. And, and I would say, you know, furthermore, if the U.S. wants some kind of middle ground between themselves and Russia or themselves in the East, they can go ahead and take part of Europe. Uh, the U.S. was established by European settlers. And so if they want to go back to some of their roots and take up some of that land there, you know, I think that that's their prerogative. But they don't need to come into our territory and take our land for their interests and then tell us to fucking like it. And that's why Kamala ain't fucking with y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we ain't fucking with Kamala either. I mean, Kamala could, Kamala could be whoever she want to be, but she's not with us. And, and you know, like, you know, I'll first and foremost say that. You know, I don't I don't necessarily expect better out of someone just because their uh, their their identity is that of a person of color. I would hope it would be better because when I think about Kamala, I think about actually the one time I really strongly identified with Kamala, like the one time in my life was when she was on that debate stage and she was going at Joe and she was ta going like really going at him for his relationship with segregationists. I was like, man. Kamala got issues with segregationists. That's news to me because I just saw her in a photo with Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister who is a known fascist. Yeah. And it seemed like she was perfectly chummy. So I, I, like, I'd love to see that sort of Kamala. Unfortunately, I think she's one of those folks who's also um, really all about political capital. Yeah. And she probably doesn't think the Palestinian people are worth her, you know, sacrificing some of her. Um, really worthy political capital for. Well, most people don't, right? Most people don't. That's right. Don't, That's right. You know, in fact, you know, I'm, this might be the last episode I do on, on culture bias because I, I might get canceled. By the <laughs> way, I hope I don't get canceled, but you know, it might it might get cancel me. Or what will happen if they don't cancel me now? They'll bring this. They'll bring this podcast up like ten years later. You'll, you'll be the Mark Lamont Hill of the podcast game, bro. Oh gosh. I don't know how to feel about that <laughs> because we know what happened to Mark Lamont. Uh, you know, um, yeah. So you know, they'll bring this up and they'll chop and screw it and be like, "Kamara's an anti-Semite." They'd be like, "What? Yeah. Is yeah. going on?" But uh, for Kamala, you know, here's pretty much what she said about those claims that Israel was anti. Um, was, uh, What's the word she, they said that she was uh, they weren't doing in human rights violation. Here's here's what her statements essentially were. It's fiction. We made it up. We made this one up. It's a made up tale. It's a total fabrication. She said that's fake news. They said it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I said I'm totally cool with what's happening in in, you know, Israel and how they're operating. I don't see a problem at all. Y'all need to go ahead and look away and remember our important relationship. Remember our important relationship. That is really fucked up in a way because relationships can be abusive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, it's like it's like validating like, yeah, this person might be toxic as fuck, but man, we got history. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's like we we're not going to talk about how this person is destructive. No, 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 no. We got history. That's yeah. what they're, that's what they're saying. My, my dad used to say friends don't my man my dad's really got some good ones but he used to say friends don't let friends drive drunk right yeah well so how is it not only are we is we letting israel drive drunk the whole time we're giving them the keys right we're insuring the car yeah. 
Yeah. We're putting the rims on that thing. We're putting the system in and the speakers. You know what I'm saying? We're giving them anything they need. And 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 thank you, come again, really. That's that's us to, to Israel. Thank you, come again. And in exchange, you know, they, they operate as the imperial power, to your point. So, you know, whenever maybe there's some intelligence or strategic intervention that maybe could be required in the Middle East, maybe that's the... We'll scratch your back, you scratch our back type of thing. So what I do want to talk about, though, is this U- the U.S., um, our fascination with Israel. And more particularly, why is it not vogue for us as a country socially in the past? I think it's changing now, and you, we've touched on it, but socially in the past to criticize them. Like, what do we... Do we lose anything from criticizing them? Well, well, first, man, again, I think we got to be clear that the, the Israeli propaganda and the Zionist propaganda has done a really great job of making people believe that to support the Jewish people is to support the state of Israel. Who's responsible for that? Go ahead and say the organization. Oh, APAC is a huge part of it. Yeah, absolutely. But they're not alone. So the Israeli lobby is vast. I mean, one of the, you know, you have your APAC, your J Street. J Street is a little more progressive. Now you have a APAC light uh, formation called Democratic Majority for Israel that is, uh, you know, sprouted up in the last couple of years. So there's so many organizations. APAC is definitely like the 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 franchise, cor- the cornerstone of the franchise, if you will. They're like the QB of the like Israeli lobby all-star squad. Right. Right. And, and so what they do is they make you think that to support the Jewish people is to support the Israeli state to not support the Israeli state is to be anti-Semitic. And like, let's also be real. The United States rejected Jewish refugees from Europe during the Holocaust, right? The, the, the United States refused to take in numbers. So I think what's also at play here is there's also a lot of Holocaust guilt in the U.S. because the U.S. actually sat by when they could have done something earlier to support Jewish people fighting off extermination from the Nazis. But not only that, instead of like denying Jewish refugees and boatloads of people escaping uh, genocide, they could have let people in. So I think there's also... The, the only reason they got involved in, in World War II because the bombing of Pearl Harbor. That's right. That's, that's right. That's, people, when we, we like to characterize the U.S., having this moral feeling, this indignation, like we need to, you know, get jump involved because it was happening to um, the Jewish population in Germany and the extermination that was happening. And that's not the case. In fact, the U.S. didn't really count the war over, even though Germany has surrendered until they bombed Japan. That's when they're like, all right, now the war is over. <laughs> So that just shows you what the priority was. It wasn't. It wasn't Germany because Germany had surrendered. Hitler had, you know, killed himself in a bunker, and Germany was like, "Yeah, we're done." And the U.S. is like, "Cool, uh, we're going to go ahead and bomb somebody first, because then, yep. then we'll be done." <laughs> so, um, timeline's important in that in that regard. But I, I but I digress. Continue. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just important, you know, to make these notes super clear for people, because, you know, if I make a Jewish friend here in the United States, look, there's no Jewish only communities here or or Palestinian only communities here or apartheid walls. You know, we we know that there's economic disparities and there's gentrification and there's all those there's 
there's all those real dynamics here in the U.S. But the point I'm getting at is if I make a, a friend here in the U.S. and he's Jewish, that, that friend and, and myself, we can go hang out at a bar together. You know, we could decide to be roommates if we want. Uh, you know, we could go to each other's weddings. You know, we could we, we fundamentally our positionality in this country, uh, at least on the letter of the law, is fundamentally the same. That dynamic does not exist in the Holy Land. So when I try to explain this conversation to well-meaning Jewish folks who just have no idea what's going on, I try to paint for them the picture that myself, someone who's born in Jerusalem, a native of the land, on my mother's side, I I could at least trace our family back at least 800 years. On my father's side, we don't have as good a grasp on the history. But my point is, how is it in any world acceptable that someone born in Alaska or someone born in Brooklyn uh, or someone born in Spain or someone born in Japan has greater rights in Palestine than me and my family simply because they are of the Jewish faith. Like how absurd is that as a reality to think through? And, and, and what would that look like if the shoe was on the other foot? So if I came, you know, this, if this, person let's say was living there from brooklyn or you're from orlando and i come to you and i say you know um actually three thousand years ago god promised us this land i got it here in my religious text um and because of that i'm about to take over this whole thing if you don't leave we'll shoot and kill you if you resist we'll call you a terrorist If, if we ran that game on you what would you do every single human being would rightfully so resist that like that's unacceptable i got my wife i got my kids we're not moving anywhere mm-hmm. we paid for it. we tilled on this land right like we farmed this land we we built this home with our bare hands we built this community right we're not leaving and that's ultimately what this whole controversy is about is they tried to supplant an entire population of people with a new population uh, and i actually really fundamentally deep down in my heart believe that Jewish people and Palestinian people, um, Jews, Christians, Muslims, all can coexist in the Holy Land. Absolutely. We, but we just can't have a state that tells one of us we're better than the other. So I wouldn't accept the opposite. I wouldn't accept a state where we would have Christians and Muslims up above. I agree. And Jews treated less than. Right. I would never accept that in the Holy Land. Right. And so that's fundamentally what, what this is all about. We talk about equality, and that's all we're, t- we're, we're going towards. That's all I hear Palestinians talk. They don't want equality. They just want they want an equitable stance um, when it comes to uh, human rights. They want an equitable stance when it comes to uh, their voice. They want an equitable stance when it comes to representation in the UN and yep. around the world. And so, you know, one of the things I've always, I've, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Palestinians, during the height of the George Floyd protests, Palestinians were marching in the streets for Black Lives Matter. And reason being, and if you talk to those in the Palestine, they will say that they identified with the Black American experience um, because they understood what it meant to be um, under subjugation of a police force that devalued your humanity. That should tell you something about power. And that's the reason why I started the episode with Public Enemy. Because there's uniformity in that. And I, I understand it. Um, you will hear Palestinians say that we are the black people of, uh, you know, Jerusalem. The way they treat us. But they actually treat you worse. Because they're actually putting bombs in your buildings. 
you know, and I'm not trying to say one is greater than the other word, you know, but I'm just saying that there's a comparative to where there's a relational understanding between um, the factions of Palestinian rights and black American rights. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for bringing that up. I think uh, what I really get excited to talk about is, is that it's really beautiful to see these shows of solidarity the last few years. It's really, really been inspiring and, and, and heartwarming. But what's always important to note is that there's a history to this connection. So this, this solidarity between black power and the black radical tradition and the Palestinian liberation movement is actually something we're continuing upon from decades earlier. So I think a lot about, you know, our, our dear brother Malcolm X, um, you know, reading his book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X, changed my life. Um, he's someone I consider to be a role model. Someone, uh, you know, I, I continue to look at as a leader of my community as an American Muslim. Um, but Malcolm X stood in solidarity with Palestine, the Black Panther Party, you know, who, who again, I consider to be, you know, visionaries who, you know, in founding Dream Defenders, we, we of course looked up to the Black Panther Party stood in solidarity with Palestine. MLK, actually. MLK actually was like, um, he rewrote that he became displeased when he saw his Jewish brothers and sisters becoming more right wing in their approach to settlement. And That's he right. would, he would challenge them like, how can you march with me on this side of the road? But then on that side of the world, you're saying that it's okay for displacement and you're, it's okay for the uh, harassment and the, uh, um, you know, the human rights that are happening. How can you That's say right. that on one breath? He would challenge that. So you're right. right. There is a, there is a deep seated history there. Yeah. And, 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 and it goes on and on. I mean, so of course want to lift up Alice Walker and Angela Davis and June Jordan so that we don't forget our sisters that have been leading um, in making these connections and also student nonviolent coordinating committee. Um, you know, another one of my personal uh, favorite uh, revolutionaries is Stokely Carmichael, AKA Kwame Ture. Yeah. He actually coined the term black power. Yeah. Um, all of these leaders told us that the way to liberation is together, um, yeah. that we were going to get there together because there was a shared structure that our oppressors were utilizing worldwide. And it was the structure of imperialism and settler colonialism and militarism and racism and capitalism. All of the isms that really were dividing, conquering up um, our lands, our lives, our communities and our families. Yeah. Yo, shout out to the fact that you mentioned Kwame Torres you know, uh, Stokely Carmichael, because I actually have a clip. Oh, let's go. The Zionism is certainly not a liberation movement because it never fought against any imperialism. As a matter of fact, today, Zionism is the baby, child, and infant protector of imperialism in the Middle East. It carries out the interests of American imperialism. As a matter of fact, a Zionism and American imperialism is like this. If our tax dollars would stop giving money to Israel, the state would sink tomorrow. And certainly no one can deny that American imperialism is the leading imperialist nation in the world. So we cannot see how a liberation movement is so tied, string and ham to American imperialism. They work hand in hand with American imperialism. Thus they can hardly be a liberation movement. In addition to this, Zionism has nothing to do with anything religion, nothing. All religions are concerned with human beings after they die. That's what religions are for. 
Islam will tell you what happens to you when you die. As a matter of fact, this which forces you to live a good life so that after death you'll be able to enjoy the rewards of heaven. The same is true for Judaism. But Zionism says nothing about the individual after they're dead. They don't give a damn about you. Because Zionism has nothing to do with religion at all. And one should not make the confusion here. The Palestinian state belongs to the Palestinian people. This is a fact. Of course, Zionism in the early days made all sorts of nonsensical propaganda. Oh, they ran away, they left the land. I saw one, he said, he said, well, you know, they ran away and left the land. I said, well, they want to come back now? <laughs> so just get out of the way and let them come back. <laughs> if you said they just ran away on their own. No. Zionism took Palestine through raw and naked terrorism. Naked. Even that butcher begin, he will never rest in peace. He who came and came into a village and terrorized the village to scare the people to run out and was proud of it. This is how Zionism conquered the land. They didn't conquer it, not even with the Torah. They conquered it with the gun passed to them from American imperialism, British imperialism. All the imperialist countries in the world supported them. Yo, so I just want to say this. We, this is how organic the conversation is. I didn't, you didn't know I had that clip. No. Nah. And you didn't know I was had that ready to go. And yet, this is where we're at. Um, when you hear those words, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts, man? Man, like, first of all, I, I mean, I always get chills when I listen to that clip. Um, I've watched that one dozens of times, man. Uh, he was so relentless. He was so well studied. He was so clear. He didn't mince words and he didn't waste words. I mean, he he honestly is just really uh, someone I have a deep and profound love and respect for. And what was really beautiful for me and, and why I also mentioned him is that um, I found out in 2015 and talking to my father about my work connecting black liberation work to Palestinian liberation work. And my father told me in that conversation, he shared with me that he knew Stokely um, and that he had helped to organize the trip that Stokely took to Beirut to meet with Yasser Arafat um, in, the 80, in, the, in the 70s or 80s. And so that was a beautiful moment for me because I was over here reading the book that had just gotten written um, about um, Stokely. I think it was titled Stokely. Yeah. Um, and I was sharing with my father how I was excited to like continue on that legacy. And I had no idea that he, in fact, you know, had that connection. And so, uh, I mean, you know, all, all love and praise to the ancestor and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, he, he talked a lot about he had this one quote, I think about um, he, he said his dream in life is to um, I forgot it was something, some type of coffee or some type of drink in South Africa and then to have mint tea in Palestine. Like that was his 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 dream in life is to be able to do both of those things. Yeah. Um, so all love to that brother. You know, and, and what I what I played that because of what I wanted to show was um, the solidarity not only that was there uh between the black liberation movement but the understanding of how we can see we can see oppression from across you know the sea from across the atlantic um and i think it's important to always keep an idea that our ancestors they marched on in this behalf they they, they stood side by side. They, they recognized when there was pain and when there was um, power uh, being uh, given against one certain sector of people. And that's where I stand on it. You know, I will never, ever, ever, ever say um, 
the Jewish people should not exist. I would never say the Jewish people don't have a right. I would never say these things because that's, that is not the humanist in me. Gotcha. But in that same regard, I will never ever sit there and ignore that Israel, not Jewish, Israel, the state of Israel is hurting a sector of people and being backed by colonial imperialistic ideals of the U.S. And I, it's, it's irresponsible for me as a humanist to not look at that and not criticize it, you know. And one of the things I think was interesting because in the United States, we mentioned APAC. APAC is really, um, and also there's uh, the, the uh, um, Anti-Defamation League. ABL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, they're very, 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 uh, particular on anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. That's right. Do you want to speak on that, like what anti-Semitism looks like and how it's um, propagated as far as what APAC represents? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And these absolutely. views are strictly of Ahmad, so I don't want to get canceled. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't know what so, you're going to say, but, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so first and foremost, uh, anti-Semitism is a crime uh, against uh, humanity, against the Jewish people, and is an ugly stain right. upon humanity's existence, and a stain that we we obviously still see today. Right. Um, important to note that again, as I mentioned earlier, the worst instance of anti-Semitism that we've ever seen in the world was Hitler and the Nazis, and that had nothing to do with the state of Israel. Yeah. So what I'm what I mean that to say is that we actually prior to Israel even existing, we knew exactly what anti-Semitism looked like. And what it looked like was conspiracy theories of Jews having ulterior motives, conspiracy theories of Jews um, uh, treating Gentiles uh, differently through financial means and banks and loans, um, conspiracy theories about Jews. blood libels about you know them drinking the blood of children that that is literally what the nazis and others used to propagate right what's happening now is the apex of the world the adls the anti-defamation leagues of the world all of these typical pro-israel orgs the stand with us orgs i mean like i said there's dozens of them they they started to redefine anti-semitism over the last um few years and now if you look at some of the most recent definitions of anti-Semitism that they want people to use, it'll have, you know, some of the examples I just mentioned, like, you know, caricatures of Jews, um, conspiracy theories, world control type of things. It'll have those things listed. But in addition to that, it'll start to say things like comparison of Israel to the Nazis is anti-Semitic. Well, wait a minute. If the Israelis act like Nazis, like, like, uh, is it like, is it okay for us to compare, like, let's say, uh, the U.S. police force? We could say maybe they're Nazis, but we can't say that about Israel. Is that is that really is that really a, well, a Israel? Is, is it's interesting because Israel. Rep- I, didn't, I didn't mean to cut, kill you, but what the uh, the thing was unique about Israel is that it's a religious, it's a, it's a orthodox religious identity in your nationality. Like that's right. The ethno, it's an ethno state. That's right. right. There is no like when someone says I'm European or I'm, I'm British. There's no 
religious ideology associated with that. Yes, people might think, you know, you might be Protestant or um, that's not even what the Protestant, you know, they might, you know, I don't know. But if you think you're Italian, they may, they may, they may think you're Catholic, right? Or Latin American, they may think you're Catholic. But it, it's not automatic, right? That's right. Um, but Israel is the only nation in the world that is people both um, automatically and nationality associate their state with their religion. And so the criticism of Israel automatically the de- de- default position is that you're now being anti-Semitic towards the Jewish people. Yes. So, so one of the other examples in, in this new uh, IHRA definition of anti-Semitism is if you disagree with Israel's right to exist. Well, we just had a conversation about the fact that if you're clearly trying to build an, a, an ethno state that privileges one population over another, we would be ludicrous. We would be absolutely insane to not resist that. I mean, we would be fundamentally saying that we are less than to accept something like that. I mean, if, if right now, um, you know, across the southern United States, white folks were like, look, we need to take it back the Confederacy and, you know, Jim Crow. And it's just because this is our land. Everyone who's not white and hopefully a lot of people who are white would be like, nah, motherfucker, not today. Not today. You're going you're gonna to get this resistance today. And so that's literally what was happening on the ground. And I, the Palestinian people rejected the plans. Once once the British announced the Balfour Declaration, we opposed that. Once the UN announced the partition plan, we opposed that. So we said no every time we could say no non-violently. We, we opposed violently. They called us terrorists and, and, and massacred us. And so time and time again, they're finding new ways to criminalize us. So now not only can you not rise up in arms, but you, if you boycott, you know, if you want to boycott Israeli, you're anti-Semitic. If you want to question its right to exist, you're anti-Semitic. You want to compare them to the Nazis, you're anti-Semitic. So it's just... It's, well, it's, I, I, and I just want to say this. I, I am not comparing um, Israel to not, Nazi. I am not. I know... Yeah. <laughs> you better put that disclaimer out there. You keep, that, keep this podcast. Uh, well, I mean, it... I'm just saying, even if, in regards of the podcast, which, yes, I don't want to lose my, it's podcast, I mean, it's whatever. But, <laughs> I reason I'm saying this, because when I think of Nazi Germany, obviously, you think of ethno-cleansing of an entire population, and you think about, um, in, in you know, the camps and uh, everything, the, the horrendous things that went through, that Jewish people went through. So, um, I and now part of my ignorance, but I have I don't know of Israel putting people in the same conditions that Nazi Germany put. Sure. So, no, so, so, so that's so kind of where I want to make sure we're clear on that. Yeah, let's have that conversation. So, you know, the, the Jewish experience under Nazi Germany is clearly so much more than the gas chambers. Right. I mean, when, when you study what happened to a lot of Jewish folks, they talk about the pogroms, right? The pogroms, P-O-G-R-O-M-S. And that was essentially when these like hate groups, these these brown shirts or the, the Nazis would march through neighborhoods and assault Jews and, and, and um, you know, crash Jewish businesses or burn Jewish businesses. And, and sorry, brother, but like I actually don't like to use the comparison because it just, you know, people get uh, – 
people get uh, you get down the rabbit hole of trying to like talk about Nazism and like I rather prefer not to do that. But if you look at what's going on on social media right now, and you see Israelis marching through the streets chanting death to Arabs, and you see them smashing Arab businesses, and you see them literally pulling Arabs out the cars and and attempting to lynch them, and you see them beating Arabs in the streets with Israeli military and police standing by actively evicting people out of their homes with Israeli, you know, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of parallels that we can touch on and, and, and we don't need to go to the gas chambers because that, that is absolutely not something we're saying is happening. But if you're telling me that you have people who are actively killing a population and then their civilian population is calling for genocide against that population, there's a lot of parallels there. And, yeah, and so again, get, get, I, I actually get, stay away from it because I don't like to go down the rabbit hole. But, but there's a there's a reason there's an impulse to make that comparison. I understand well. that. But if I'm going to and this is the one time I've given you pushback on this podcast. Right. Yep. This is the one. So the, the pushback I would offer is that because of the, such a pejorative term of Nazis in, in the Jewish history, that when you make statements like that, it it derails the argument. Right now, I'm not saying the genocide and things that are not happening, but because we understand the power behind those ter- that terminology, it in it of itself it makes it almost makes you um, lose your position because we understand there's real history behind that word. There's real history and there's real pain behind that word, especially for the Jewish population, and so we have to be careful about. Using those words in that form. Now you could be critical. You can everything you just said could be on point, but that's my pushback on that. Got you. So let me ask you: Do you think it's fair for any other community to use the word Holocaust? I, I'm well. I don't know what you're. Do you mean like was there an African Holocaust? Like would you like what what would you what would you call? I, okay, it? I understand what you mean. Okay, yeah, so, yes, like like everything that's happened to African American people. Would, yes. would you just call it the slave trade, or would you maybe say the word Holocaust, or is it just it like is Nazism and Holocaust off? Like what? No, what I don't. I mean, I because I've heard people re- refer to what happened to that um, enslaved Africans as the the first Holocaust. Right? That's right. That's um, right. So I'm not. I what I'm t- saying in particular to Nazism, right, is that it's, it's such a pejorative term that we have to be careful of when we label how label the people in which it was inflicted upon yep. as being that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm with you. So but, I, and I and I don't want to and I don't want to kill your point, but I I that's my pushback on that. Got you. Got you. See, see, I actually agree with you that it's it derails the conversation. And that's why I don't make that connection. What I was trying to make clear is that I totally understand the need for some people or the want of some people to make that connection because they're thinking this. You're thinking about the sensitivity on the end of like, man, they went through that, like to compare them to that is like, wow, you know, and I get that. The other side of that is like, if I really want these Zionists to understand that, like, you know, marching through the streets, chanting death to Arabs makes me think of another huge injustice, then why not connect them? Why not make the connection to them of like, yo, this is like what happened to you all. Like, this is literally what you all write about. Like, this is what Anne Frank, when Anne Frank is writing up in her thing about, are they going to come take us? Like, 
you know, these families are literally like, oh my God, are the settlers going to come, you know, take our home or is, is Gaza, is our, is our home, is our 13 floor residential building about to get flattened? Like, are they about to just call and say, yo, you got to get up out of your crib because we're going to bomb the shit? Like, this is happening actively right now while ch- civilians are chanting death to Arabs. So I, I don't make the comparison. I understand why some people do. Yeah. I used to make the comparison before I learned to set up my arguments better before I learn to not get myself into potholes. Right. I mean, so, so we're on the same page. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny you should say that because you know, as a, as a lawyer, you realize that if you're using an argument for strict shock value, then reality is you don't have an argument, you know, because you, you've lost, you've lost the pa- the posture of your argument because you're saying, I don't have anything else. So I'm going to doing, I'm doing something for the sheer point of just shocking you into an opinion you know or shocking you into my position rather than laying out the facts which you did so eloquently about you know you know saying death to arabs and pulling out the people out their cars and beating them and the you know uh, the the um redistribution of land and and things of that nature you've argued that we just have to remove the you know toxic term and the history associated because that in itself is dangerous and and it's, it, I, if I'm I'm sensitive as a as a black person when somebody's trying to use a term that was used to hurt me as a description of me, you know what I mean? And so that's kind of where I'll leave it at that. But we're on the same page, so I just want to um, I do want to state though, just getting back on track in the conversation. You got it. Uh, APAC and how they've operated. I think they've recognized, and this has been a slight movement, they've recognized that um, they're trending in a certain direction towards black progressives. And mm-hmm. so they've tried, from what I've read, um, to, they've tried to recruit more black progressives within the organization because they recognize that, you know, we're, we might be losing to a generation of people um, that are not really in, in line of how they view, they're not so orthodox in how they view um, Israeli power dynamic mm-hmm. you agree or disagree well yeah i think they've been very successful for a while actually at targeting hbcus um and black leaders at uh pwis and and it's because i think you know for a while uh, there was this um assumption that you had to in a way kiss the ring right like in order to, you, in order to ascend yeah, in order to ascend politically, you want to get elected, you want to get campaign dollars, do you want to get appointments once you're elected? I mean, all of this stuff is like, you know, committees, um, you got to kiss the ring. And so APAC really built a lot of power up for itself. But again, the inevitability of the breakaway between progressive values and Zionism was going to show itself. So you can't have um, a progressive value like Zion or a quote unquote progressive value like Zionism. Um, and then also in the same vein, talk about, you know, the, the ideals, the values, like Kamala talks about the shared values, the shared values between Zionism and the U S is that the U S is a settler colonial state, just like Israel is a settler colonial state. Like those are the shared values. They stole this land from the natives um, they then subjugated the black folks to to expand economically and, and tilt the land. Um, Israelis stole the land from the Palestinians and got support from the British and, and financing from the U.S. And so these things are all interconnected. Um, and so, 
Yeah, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the vision that I have is for, you know, a holy land that'll be welcoming for all, but but Zionism is is the clear uh barrier to us getting there. Yeah. So I'm going to end this conversation on a, another clip and I you know, we can discuss this for a few minutes and I just want to get your thoughts. Cool. It's one of my from my favorite comedians, but he talks about labeling. Smug, greedy, well-fed white people have invented a language to conceal their sins. It's as simple as that. The CIA doesn't kill anybody anymore. They neutralize people. (laughs) Or they depopulate the area. The government doesn't lie and engages in disinformation. The Pentagon actually measures nuclear radiation in something they call sunshine units. Israeli murderers are called commandos. Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? (laughs) They never mention that part of it to us, do they? Never mention that part of it. Legends out today. What was that? You brought all the legends out today. I had I had to bring out George Carlin, man. Rest in peace, man. Rest in power, yeah. George Carlin. Um, yeah, man. I, you know what I thought? I've, I love that clip because it tells you how important the propaganda and labeling is. Yep. You know, and when we talk about what's happened in you know recent days with in the Gaza Strip, you hear these things as terrorists, and it's like we're very quick to assign terrorists to a particular brand of people mm-hmm. so quick so quick to do that yeah. and we know what we're doing the media knows what we're doing when when it when that happens and there's danger in it because you're automatically now you're telling people this this person is evil and they don't have any right to what's happening and i'm not saying what their position is is right or wrong but i'm saying when you when you're quick to label things in a particular ideal you've already asserted a position that they're they're that you know, they're on the defense, or excuse me, they're on the attack, right? And for no other reason, but they're trying to disrupt. Yeah. You know, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, my, well, yeah, I agree. But my thought is actually, like, how powerful George Carlin um, as a comedian uh, was and, and, and just how powerful the arts are. So, I mean, we're having this conversation because there's a guy that made you laugh but also was making you think. And, you know, I think a lot about like hip hop, yeah. how like, hip hop, sometimes, you know, you're in the mood for a club banger and you're talking about, you know, it's your birthday, go shardy. But another time you're talking about, you know, I ain't mad at you or Brenda's got a baby or, you know, changes. And so, like, I think about the way art connects us, not only to each other as human beings, but to these issues. And um, that that's something that really, really gives me hope, brother, because. You know, we're seeing a lot of influencers speak up on Palestine right now. And, you know, I think like the arts, whether it's music, poetry, comedy, film, um, TV, uh, they offer such a great opportunity for us to transcend language, borders, boundaries, politics. Right. I mean, when you tell a real story, man, and you dig it like what's up underneath someone's like chest plate here, like, you know, what I'm saying something really just snatches that like you know, that thing right there near the heart. Um, like that's how you connect with people, man. And sometimes like art is really, um, the most powerful tool for that. Um, so definitely want to just, just thank you for sharing that clip too. That was powerful. No, no doubt, man. And I just want to say like, 
when we hear labels, I want everybody to always think about why are they labeling? Ask the questions. Like, what's what's happening? Um, you know, just don't be so quick to repeat people. You know, just don't be challenge it. And that's really the whole point of this podcast. It's kind of I wanted to give a platform to this side of the conversation um, and give some context and perspective. And, you know, often, you know, we operate so much in this world where we don't even we just accept the information given to us. And I don't want I don't like that. I'm gonna raise my kids not to just accept the information that's given to you. Why? Why, why are they saying these things? Like, what is the what is the purpose of it? You know, do you ask the secondary question? Ask the third question. Right. You know, don't just allow people to tell you things, mm-hmm. and then you accept it. You know, and that doesn't matter what political ideology. I'm talking. I'm just saying. Period. You know, if you challenge the Democratic position, even if you may believe in some of their principles, challenge them. You yep. know, we brought up Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, because we want you want to challenge their their position. Yep. You know, challenge people and don't be afraid to do that. And that's really the whole point of. Uh, everything. So, um, if you're cool with it, we can ride off on that, right? Yeah, man. I, I appreciate it, bro. This has been a, a really cool conversation. Thanks for giving me the space, man. And I hope that people like it. Man, listen. I hope people like it too, man. And to the point where I hope people actually subscribe and share the podcast. And if honestly, if you were somebody who actually listened to this pod and be like, "Yo, I actually have a different position," and you are from Israel, or you know, you want to. You know, give it a different side. I welcome that conversation as well. Obviously, not with Ahmad because he's like, I'm not going to entertain yeah. that. But we, I just, not, but the not same colonizer, not okay. So, but with the same space that I'm giving Ahmad, I'm willing to do that on that side as well. But as I said, you know, when anything you're given, can't trust the information. And how we started the podcast, we're going to end it with the same group with a different message. So let me see if y'all rock out to this. It's a crime. Here come the drums. Get dressed! Get dressed!